I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. G'day folks and welcome to the Encounters Down Under podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and I invite guests to the show to share their amazing encounters with aliens and UFOs. If you or someone you know has had an encounter down under or anywhere in the world for our new segment Encounters Unbound, please get in touch with me via the Encounters Down Under Facebook page or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join the Encounters Down Under Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can also get involved during the live stream interviews, sharing your thoughts and opinions during the live show. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to give us a rating and review on your favorite listening platform. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get into what you've been waiting for. Kick back and relax with your favorite beverage and enjoy the show. This episode is available to view on our YouTube channel, so be sure to like and subscribe to the channel and leave a comment with your thoughts on the episode. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. Mark joins us on the podcast who surprisingly hasn't had any personal encounters, but has a strong curiosity into the UFO topic. With a scientific background, he studied in the phenomena for nearly 40 years and believes he may have an explanation of the manipulations of consciousness and abductions. So please welcome to the show, Mark. Welcome to the show there, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on, Anthony. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. This is uh, a first time for me for this sort of uh, forum. So <laughs> go easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, mate, I, I, it's absolutely great I, having I, you on. Do hope that I can uh, uh, give some sort of elaboration on this whole contactee thing that is uh, a terrific phenomena that needs much more uh, research. And I think I've done a little bit that might just add a bit to um, that base of knowledge that we do have and um, some insights of where our research should be going. No, sounds good, mate. Look, the thing that you sort of... Um caught me by surprise when you contacted me like you said that you didn't have an experience of your own like it's not very often that you can't have someone that doesn't have an experience to even be diving down this topic it is um i'm i'm more of a science sort of background my my actual background is uh, i'm a scientific glass blower i work with scientists i i work with the scientific method we're, we're all very skeptical my friends and family are all scientists and everything so some of us will talk 
a little candidly about this and, you know, off, offhandly, whereas uh, others it's just like, well, I didn't experience anything, so I can't actually make any statement. I'm more of the opinion that after reading so many accounts since I was a kid, looking at this UFO thing in the 70s, you know, I had the Time Life Unexplained magazines and it was fascinating as a kid and it was just, it was, it could be fantasy or it could be something else. And as more and more research has come to light, more people are coming out with it, it's becoming destigmatized. We're starting to see that this trend, this phenomena of, of the UAPs and contacting contact with, well, intelligent entities is starting to become less, um, more talked about. And what is happening through it being more talked about, of course, we're starting to see huge similarities from across the planet, of course, and across time. So it's, it really intrigued me. There's like, why across all cultures and across time, why would there be so many similarities in the accounts of what the contactees are saying? So there must be something to this phenomena. And I think to ignore it, aside from just lights in the sky and with uh, better uh, metrics and, and better optics with uh, FLIR uh, cameras and, and multispectral analysis. Uh, yes, we're getting better data with this, but it's the experiences that are really worthy of a, a bit of analysis to, to say what's common about this, because it, when you dig into it, there really is... Uh, a strong hint of what's actually going on from the perspective of the other intelligences and what they really are doing with us and why they're here and why they are why they might be doing some of the insane things that we seem to hear. Um, there is no really typical experience. Clearly, there's some lot of weirdness, but there's also some really fundamentals that you know that we can we can make some basics. Uh, have it draw a basis around uh, and then we can build up from there. I hope that makes yeah. some sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, uh, to me, I feel like the, the experiences are the first hand or the first hand experiences who are coming out with their encounters. They're basically the front lines to this whole thing, you know? And yes. to me, I find that's where all the credibility lies. Like, okay, yeah, okay, there's some fraudulent sort of videos that go out there to try and, I don't know, try and make some sort of humor or you know they're out there for some sort of profits they're trying to market off it um but then yet, you get the people so, yeah. that don't gain anything from it they're, who are have nothing to look they've got nothing to gain from this and they're still coming out forward with like uh destroying yeah, their reputation yeah. or their livelihoods potentially. you're right and and that's the the funny thing is that the, the amount of accounts that i you read over the years where people just say look i just want to remain anonymous i just need it out there i need to sort of say it as a as almost a cathartic uh, process and they don't want fame they don't want uh, to be known for it so clearly the the only motive is what they've experienced and that has to be you know really listened to yeah absolutely so look tell me where this first started for you like where how did you sort of come across this to want to really start diving down to it oh well i've always been interested in the topic and it's always been in the background of course um, and recently, good old YouTube. <laughs> I have to, I have, a, I have to have a nod to many of the channels now that are 
uploading some extraordinarily good content. Um, a shout out to Mr. Black of Beyond Creepy. I think we can link him. He's a, uh, I think he's Canadian. I, I, he sounds Canadian. Um, has done an amazing work on the paranormal. And it was only a little while ago I was watching his show and his uh, his uploads and his analysis of some of the accounts that he's dragged out. Many, many, many accounts and real weird stuff. And of course, it just brought back all the memories of the accounts that I'd read as a kid, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s reading this and going, it's all the same stuff. And even though there's modern stuff now, it's still the same phenomenon. I had to start going, all right, I really have to solve this. There's something going on here. It's kind of what I do. I really don't like a paradox. <laughs> it's, it's infuriating. And so um, finding some links and commonalities and sharing it with some friends who are also into this, they said, I think you're onto something here. You, you might want to talk to someone and put this out there. So here we are, and hopefully we might, uh, with, with the help of your listeners, um, uh, help us uh, see if we're on the right track with, with where this is going. Yeah, so we absolutely. only have an hour, so I might just jump in straight away and uh, almost sort of take off on a little bit of a, a lecture because <laughs> you know, I've got a I've got a bit of a, a you know a, a plan to how to explain this. So let let's just dive straight in and let me say um, one of the things that you see over and over and over again is that not only is you see the light in the sky, the first thing you hear about is the ability to control someone's psychology and even their sense of reality. We hear again and again that there was this intense fear. And on the flip side, we have an intense sense of calm. Automatically, the person or the contactee will say later, it was abnormal for the circumstance of what I felt. It was like I was manipulated. Then comes the experience of things like paralysis, missing time, um, like feeling like that there was a staring like a rabbit in a headlights type of stultified sort of weird effects that someone was controlling them. Obviously, the craft, this bright light that they've seen, a, a, a bright cone of light hitting the ground, toward, moving towards them, almost scanning them at times. This sort of thing seems to be a, a very common beginning to you know, the contactee experience. It's like it's the, you know, your, your, your archetypical, you know, bare bones basic contactee experience. That's what, that's what it all starts with. And after that, we go into sort of another sort of divergence is that there's a sort of a, uh, you're being probed physically or you're being tested mentally. And the, the tested you know, physical probe type of thing. It's sort of almost like, what was it Bill and Betty uh, Hill um, back in the 50s who were taken away Betty by Betty Barney Hill, I think it is. Betty Barney Hill, correct. Sorry, Barney Hill um, in the 50s. Um, yes, it was sort of the first archetypical grey experience where they were uh, taken on board a craft, um, sort of probed, um, sort of interrogated, and sort of let go again. And this, there was missing time. There's all the classic aspects of this. So why, so why all the, the ability, the ability for these individuals, these beings 
to be able to control our mind and our behaviors. And the next part, you know, is sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, sure. um, is, is really, really you know, fundamental to their technology. And then comes the telepathy, the communication. We hear again and again that they were given messages, they were given um, voices in their head without direct communication. So telepathy is another aspect of this of this technology, which means it's it's an advanced form of consciousness. Uh, I'd say amplification. They they sort of know how to amplify their consciousness, and that they can overall overrule override our consciousness. It's a much more it's a higher level of technology than we've got. But it sets up, from what I can see, it sets up what they're really interested in, and consciousness really boils down to it. And I think if you if you're in this field, you're starting to hear um, from Louise Elizondo, um, Stephen Greer, Jack, uh, Frank Vallee, the, the idea of consciousness keeps turning up again and again. That consciousness is a really big part of this phenomenon. These beings are studying us from afar. They are constantly testing what we do in certain situations and are constantly updating their knowledge of what we do in certain situations. And, and that's what I started to see again and again was that we were put in situations that was otherwise familiar to us and then given some aspect to... Uh, to process. An account that I heard was uh, like a Sudeski incident as, as a guy in Poland, I think his name was Sudeski, who had a craft come down and these beings said to him, don't worry, we've got a malfunction and we need to fix our craft. It just so happens that Sudeski was a mechanic. Now, the fact that they'd already <laughs> known that he was a mechanic and they were giving him a setup to to process this to the way he would process it. And then they took him aboard his ship and then were given this obscure uh, uh, crisis. They said something had escaped their ship and they needed him to leave and run as fast as you can. So they set, the, they set it up in, into a way that he could understand they bring him on board. They ask a few questions. He didn't see anything that was particularly alien or unfamiliar to him that was too shocking, and then he was told to run. This fear part of it is the next thing I'm going to get to as well because it's a very, very big part of how these intelligences finish the conversation in many, many, many times. The fear seems to be used as a technology and this is the part where i think i've got something to add to this experience um getting ahead of myself i was trying to <laughs> trying to get it all together in a in a in a you know you're right because right. this starting to make sense so mm -hmm. i've got a, i've got a general sense of the phenomena 
Yeah, absolutely. Because like as like a lot of people have like explaining, fear is a well, even to use it in our own terms, like you know, fear is a very powerful tool. So of course, when it's to be used to your advantage, you're going to use it, aren't you? And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an alien being or what are these beings are, human nature, it's some sort of resolve in fear or any way you can sort of control the situation, you're going to use that advantage. Now, the whole idea of fear it, from a human perspective is very different to the way these aliens use fear. And this is the jump in awareness that I think I want people to understand is that if you have, uh, let, let's just pull back a bit about what we know about telepathy. We talk about it as though we know the phenomena and, and you know, we talk, it's in pop culture everywhere. And yet it's no scientific phenomena. It's not studied. It's not a phenomena that can be ever uh, described scientifically because it's not able to be done by humans on any regular basis and therefore it can't be um, put in excuse me can't be put into a scientific uh, situation or the, the model of the way science is conducted is you don't have a, um, a control group, you don't have a control situation, you don't have variables you can control. Uh, our experience of telepathy is very, very infrequent. We from kind a public of, perspective. From a public perspective, sooner everyone has always got this uh, one weird experience where they say, "It was funny. I was just sitting there. Um, I was washing the car, just in minding my own business, and I have this weird intrusive thought that I've got to call Aunt's, you know, Aunt Jenny or something." And then two days later, Aunt Jenny just sort of pops up with, you know, "Oh my God, she's sick," and was trying to contact you or. Um, it's like, I haven't spoken for ages. Like, why did this thing intrude into my head? Why did this thought that was, that didn't have a causal relationship to it? Why did we do that? Why did we have a sense of danger or a, a something that you go, I knew I just shouldn't go there. And next minute, yeah, there was something and you go, why did I have that intrusive thought? It, it's through all humankind. It's, it's completely unstudiable. Mm. And yet every human has had that experience or knows someone who's actually really good at it. And yet we, so while we know about it, we're not good at using it. Yeah. And clearly, clearly this technology that the uh, an alien, uh, non-human, high intelligent species has, is they've managed to master this. This is more than just a bit of telepathy or more than just a kook thing. Their whole technology, everything about what they do, is based on this higher level of consciousness at, at a telepathic method, a, a telepathic um, ability. Now, we're just starting uh, to get our head around this um, from a scientific point of view. And I'm sure some of our listeners, and I'm sure you've heard of remote viewing uh Yep, technology absolutely. that someone like Hal Putoff at, at Stanford was doing um, and that the, the success of this program was not insignificant. It was shut down and it was also, you know, <laughs> it was also investigated by um, powers who thought it was overreaching its ability and was, you know, 
it's got a fantastic history. And I, I dare say anyone who would look into this, I'd have a pop-up here, someone showing a link to the psychic spy programs and Hal Putoff. Um, we've mm. got the School of Noetic Sciences um, by Dean Radin, who has done some amazing work with his thing. And again, a pop-up I'd do for Dean Radin and School of Noetic Sciences. Uh, some things are a little controversial. Uh, some things, uh, you know, have, you know, sci good cr scientific criticism of his methods. Others are, you know, well, yes, you can cr criticise it you know, prima facie, but also you can see the results are not insignificant, which leads us to like, well, there might actually be a, a primitive form of this technology starting to be, uh, well, understood from a scientific point of view. And, uh, and clearly this is something that we are primitive with. Um, but the things that we do know about this, and we know about things like quantum mechanics and quantum computing, is the whole idea of entangled states. What this means for consciousness is actually probably a, a topic I think I could go into all by itself, but it's um, <laughs> there's some strong mathematics behind it, and I, I maybe I won't go down that path just yet. But l let's just keep it simple and say that the technology for tele telepathic uh, communication and telepathic uh, non-local information flow, from a, a sounds a bit more academic, um, has some very strong conditions to it. If you are able to, and I think this is something that you can just think about as a thought experiment, is if you're able to project your consciousness out out of your, shall we say, head towards someone else, in other words, another being, you could also project it anywhere in the room, anywhere on the planet, as we know from the, the remote viewing project. So it stands to reason that these beings need to be in a very quiet psychological environment to be well-connected to amplify their own consciousness in order to communicate with themselves and their ship. So if you are using technology that has those requirements, the last thing you'd want is to be in an area with lots of scattered, highly loud consciousnesses, such as our primitive minds, in a, in a large number. It could very easily overwhelm these beings and their technology which amplifies their own consciousness which means you see these encounters under very remote circumstances it's usually only one or two witnesses you never see the contactee experience in very large numbers I mean, aside from say Westall or Zimbabwe Westall's just down the road from where I live um very famous large number of encounters uh, with, with people, encounters with large numbers of people, but very, very rare. And yeah. I, I'd say with Westall, it was almost inadvertent. There was no contact. They, they were just craft that seemed inadvertently landed through some happenstance that the, the pilots needed to do. Uh, but not actually contact anyone, whereas the Zimbabwe account was seemingly more 
deliberate. I'm not quite sure, you know, why and how many were actually involved in the contact contactee experience, but it is it is an outlier. The the excuse me the the contactee experience is usually a one on one thing, and it's in a remote place. It's often at night time, where the individual being contacted has less visual stimulus going on and so their mind is probably a little stiller. It gives someone who has consciousness amplifying technology the ability to manipulate or engage with them with that with that in mind. Uh, does that does that start to make a bit more sense as a as a, as a as a premise behind what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like, yeah, they've got a deliberate target on someone as why they're taking interest in that person, basically. And whether that's, that could be a higher consciousness, absolutely. It, there's got to be something that, better that does it. There's, there's definitely a link here with this. And there are, aside from the fact that in order, it's done at night and it's done in remote situations in order to minimize the amount of psychic connection to things. So you're more easily overwhelmed. There are, other reasons of why the contactee phenomena seems to follow individuals and then families. Um, if some someone's had a contactee experience, it's it's very often that someone around them or in close proximity to them is now uh, finding themselves seeing alien craft where they'd never seen it before, and I'm still I'm still kind of wrapping my head around the fact that. There are plenty of people who can see craft when others next to you can't. It has something to do with our, our hardware. Um, Gary Nolan has brought up a really interesting thing. I think it was um, he was on Lex Fridman's um, podcast recently, and he brought up the idea that um, uh, since Gary Nolan is, you know, I don't know, does, do, do you know Gary Nolan? Does that yeah, yeah I know. He's the, uh, isn't he the neuroscientist? He's uh, the neuroscientist, yeah. he, exactly. He's uh, the neuroscientist yeah. and he's been studying uh, contactees with uh, some pretty advanced technology like MRI imaging. Yep. And I, I think his latest uh, finding was that contactees have a, uh, a very distinct part of their brain, which is a little more active in, in, in that, that group than say normal humanity. It's called the basal ganglia, um, which is sort of a subbrain. It's the uh, it processes your environment and awareness at a higher level than your than than just your visual spatial awareness thing. It's sort of doing things uh, as an autopilot that allows you to just navigate your field without actually having to think about it. If you if you know you go to sit down and you know the chair's behind you you just instantly grab your hand and drag it towards you without having to actively think about every movement you're doing you know this this part of your brain just knows you know it's a chair it weighs about this much this is how much force you should put on it when when you just go to do it you don't have to think about it if you've got this on autopilot um so the basal ganglia and its awareness uh uh, function seems to be uh, more highly stimulated in the contactee. Could this be a reason why they're, they're contacting these people, or have they stimulated these people, you know, in earlier <laughs> contacts, and now it's it's become more developed? Don't know. Maybe Lex Fridman has got more of an idea. 
yeah, pulling up a bit of a, a basal ganglia uh, yes, idea about idea. what it does. Yeah, give him an idea of what it, what what science actually thinks it do, does. There's a, a, even um, Gary Nolan. He says you know there, it's got two sort of two two camps that um, scientists can say that it has its 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 main um, its main function. Having people um, see that, yeah, people can see that. They can look into that themselves. It's it's definitely it, it exists. <laughs> it's not pseudoscience, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but the whole idea of this uh, consciousness and higher awareness it, again, it it has a it has a connection to it. So, what do you do? One thing we know about uh, psychic uh, type connections, or, or even in quantum mechanics, when if you observe something, quantum mechanics says that you don't just observe it; you are you participate in the event. It's like I look at a candle; um, the light that is hitting my eyes ultimately means that those photons that left that candle, when they impact my photoreceptors, have actually helped change certain certain chemical functions of the of the of the chemicals that actually cause those photons to leave uh, the chemical reaction you're entwined and entangled um, into this sort of complex state of the universe that you know there's this flood of quantum mechanical weirdness that goes on but you're not divorced from that you're not causality is not is no longer independent of of the observer. You're not just passive. You're somehow active with it. And the things that we know about the telepathic, the psychic experiences, and I have had those, by the way. Though I, I, I do have psychic weirdness that has gone on, and so is my my family. My my wife's mother is actually really good at it. Um, so despite having no logical scientific explanation it's observable it's a, it's a known phenomenon yeah absolutely so, I, um, look, I, i've gone through this whole like you know the abilities there i've had some guests on the show there where they've claimed their family has like a bit of a, an ability on its own um they've even worked with government uh, military governments obviously not in the public it's a thing and uh, which they like, you know, they, they were doing tests there. They were trying to make sure, like, see how how strong your abilities are to the point, like, where it might be deemed useful in a sense. And yeah. like, you know, I know, I know for a fact that, well, so the rumors go. I'm not going to say for a fact, but you know, so the rumors go that uh, the Americans were using these abilities there to try and do remote viewing to the Russians there during the Cold War, or you know, they were doing heaps of studies on that matter, trying to keep that advantage ahead oh, of them in any absolutely. way any means by possible so there's definitely stories there so to say like you know no one knows this ability you know i think they're, they're keeping their head in the sand on that part so there's uh, yeah, definitely something there there's definitely something there and and i think we're starting to see this connection to the uap phenomena and the one thing that i, I i'm going to bring this back now down to fear um and where why there is such a strong link to the the paranormal creepiness that 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 comes into the UAP slash uh, contactee experience. There's the archetypical men in black thing, where these 
entities, these menacing entities come in and sort of hustle you to sort of shut the hell up about the experience and don't think about this anymore and don't say anything about it. Then comes the uh, acculturated versions of this fear-based thing where you are shown something from your cultural background. There's a, a, a woman who was hearing thumps around her house and then in the middle of the night and then goes out to this small church because she was sort of felt drawn out to see it. And there were these uh, goblin-like figures in, you know, spiraling up in the air above this church and this sense of dread and terror about it. We, we, we're given visions of things that we know are otherwise told by mythology to be something we fear. And I think these beings are playing with this to study our response and update their, then update their database on what our culture uses as fear and how it affects us. There's so many crazy things, you know, people seeing these weird cryptids that glowing eyes in the dark. And and I was I heard an account recently, again, Mr. Mr. Black from Beyond Creepy. Thanks, dude. Um uh, a, a kid who was walking through the forest, um, light in the sky, small grey type beings, almond eyes, the the silvery jumpsuit type of thing, um, sort of stultify him while he's walking in the forest, um, small um, in, <laughs> thing that goes into his nose um, while he's um, being probed, telepathy, all of that. And just casually, this this creature who's probing him and, and holding him, you know, pinned in time for about two days, uh, just casually asks him, do you know who Satan is? Do you know Lucifer? Nothing more. That was it. <laughs> and then just, you know, he really he realizes that the, the sun and the moon sort of pass through the sky like a, a time lapse video. And then he's suddenly out of it later and uh, he's released and he goes back to his mum and realized two days is gone. And, uh, he's just totally flummoxed by this whole thing. Why Why would you be asking a, a, a kid, do you know who Satan is? Do you know who Lucifer is while you're being probed? These are things we're, we're told through a cultural uh, thing to be to be, a fear, to be afraid of. <laughs> it's, it, it, this sounded a quintessential contactee experience where they're testing what we know about the things that make us afraid. I don't think this is, you know, foreign to this this topic. And I think, you know, if I put a ring around it, I think everyone would nod and go, yeah, it happens. It's definitely a thing. Yeah, it's a strange thing. Even though, like you're saying, like, you know, asking people who like who Lucifer, but there's a thing too, like where people are growing up with the bedtime stories of voodoo creatures and they like, you know, vampires, werewolves, you know, boogeyman in general. And yeah. again, that's like, it's a, a, what do I say? fear tactic or something like you know you go to sleep otherwise the boogeyman might get you for like trying to keep kids in bed um you know or don't go somewhere because the bad man might take you or something in that regards again it's like yeah. you're still manipulating fear to try and control something whether to keep you safe or to try and again to play control. with to play with to play with your mind i think there was the um what was that? i got an account here that i remember some um da -da 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 -da, some girl Oh yeah, someone who was um, who called into Art Bell's interview. Um, she was she was only age six, which is another common thing, by the way. There's so many 
uh, kids around about six to ten seem to have contactee experiences, and uh, they seem to be pro they seem to be put in these weird, fearful situations that they don't understand at the time. Uh, that happens a lot, a lot. So it looks very much like this is a this is a test. Well, let's put these kids, let's give them some extremely fearful thing, and we'll see what actually where the brain goes to cement these ideas of fear. Um, where her and her sister were out playing in a backyard. It was daytime, but they were in a remote area by themselves. And she wondered, where my sister Denise, um, Roxanne, um, Napa Valley, 1962. Um, and she goes to find her sister. Uh, uh, she jumped up on the fence, that a fence that she's told, no, you don't ever go past that fence. It's dangerous. I said to her mum. And so they didn't, although... They would sneak over occasionally, kids being kids. And she noticed she when she jumped up on the fence to look if her sister Denise was anywhere, there were the, the men in black, a black hat, black cape, black everything, uh, with a syringe held to her the arm of her, her sister Denise um, in the lap of this black creature that turned and looked at, the, at her while she tried to scream but couldn't actually get any noise out. Um, she falls off the fence and and then you know screaming to try and get back up and and jumps up on the fence and scrambles and, and then finds that the men have just magically disappeared. She gets to a sister who wakes up sort of groggy and out of it and very once again almost paralyzed uh, has no recollection of it. One is you know <laughs> Roxanne was obviously the test subject and Denise was just the the, the unwilling pawn. Once again, where we are benignly influenced here, that there, there doesn't seem to be many cases where actual harm has come to us. We're put in, in these terrifying situations, and no, you weren't actually attacked by a weird cryptid creature with huge fangs. It was just the, the sheer fear and, and of, of the prospect of it happening. So back to my idea about them using augmented or at least concentrated. Uh... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Telepathy, or, or, or what I'd say, um, a, a concentrated intelligence or um uh, this is why I'm getting late and tired. Come on, brain. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it augmented. Um, uh, yeah, intellect as a as a consciousness that seems to be uh, they've got this sort of telepathic connection to all of them that needs to be kept in a very very tightly delicately controlled situation so they can use it. And my connection to the quantum field where you are connected to your subject if you think about it if you think about the person you know telepathically they're linked to you you're linked to them what happens when you've just had a subject you've got that you want to test or you want to play with and all i can do is see your face and constantly play it over and over and over in their mind like oh my god what did i see i just saw this creature and you play it again and again if you're playing that image in your mind of that thing that was was actually visiting you, you're you're psychically connected to it. The last thing they want is for you to be is is the telephone call to be connected permanently while you have a freak out with your primitive monkey mind while they're trying to fly their craft in this highly still almost library like quiet in order to get their technology to work. They have to shut you off, and fear is their way of doing it. Yeah, because the brain, especially like uh, with moments of fear, like your brain is really good at repressing the situation as well. So that's a really good tactic in that matter. To fear shuts down everything. It shuts down reason. It shuts down. Um, it shuts in higher reasoning. It shuts down all sorts of things. It it, it cements. Um, it's immense behavior. We learn through fear and we learn through danger. So if you are given us a, a fearful situation, you learn from it very quickly. It's it's one mm. of those, you know, if you burn yourself, you, you learn never to do it very, very quickly as opposed to having to learn another skill where you, you got to practice like hard, like crazy. So fear is almost like a, a way of cementing some aspect of, of them playing with our psychology. And it's also, I think, a way of disengaging from those they don't necessarily need to be engaged with. I say that that's one aspect of the contactee experience. The other one is people who don't have the fear con the fear factor given to them. They're almost they're almost uh, they're almost given a calm, almost a, a loving experience, and almost a one-on-one a, a -on -one communication type of thing at times. And they these people, I think, they're being tracked across generations maybe um and they're the ones that don't get that fear behavior they don't need to they're, they're tracking something else in them they've already augmented something in that human bloodline and they're they're tracking that they don't need this fear behavior to to just you know a, a random subject they can get rid of yeah absolutely so, 
I, I, I saw that and I thought no one else has actually put that together as as a as a connection between the consciousness, the their technology, and them not worried about what we do out with our technology, but they're definitely interested in our minds. We have something that is very different to them. We have almost like a raw intellect that has degrees of freedom to it. And if you were, like it seems, and it has actually come across from some accounts, that these greys, these other beings, they don't have the same civilization as us. They're bred almost... In, you know, you know, you know, in vitro type of stuff. They're not; they're created entities. They're almost bi biological robots in a way. And if you are biological robots and you've grown up in the in a homogenous environment, you don't have a connection to the whole world that we have as uh, as these primitive monkeys with psychology that have so many more degrees of freedom. It's like we have much more advanced programming. Uh, with, with regards to our experience that they don't have. And so I think they use that as a library of experience for them to know how to augment their technology. Yeah, so absolutely. Well, necessarily... it... You're right. Oh, I was just going to say that they, they don't seem to want to harm us, not necessarily. There might be some species that seem to be hostile. But for the most part, we're used as almost like a library. Yeah. So it sort of makes me wonder, like, um, like you're saying, they like, their intellect is obviously to a certain degree, and I think the claim is like we only use like a three percent of our brain, or is it? It's a bit more than that. I can't remember what the actual percentage is, but it's. I think it's a little bit of a. It's one of those myths that gets sort of trotted out um, mm. about this. You know, you only use nine. You know, three two percent of our brain. Well, sometimes yeah, so it's, it's sometimes like, is that don't, true, but, or but, is it? Something well, that they're trying to track down so that they can try and implement it into their own ways of things? Or is there something that they're trying to enlighten us with, sort of trying to be able to use the rest of their brains? Like, obviously, our, if we, you know, figure out how to go and use our brains to our full potential, like, where would we, what would be the outcome of that? Do we exactly. Something to gods in that sense, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's why there is no connection to... Um, there is, I'd almost, if they have the ability to, if they have the ability to shut down individuals, then I dare say if they have a remote ability to influence key individuals, certain key individuals can have a very large outcome on the global stage. Do wars, do... Um, fear-based politics does it sort of does it does it rise and fall with whatever they're choosing it to be yeah is it do we really have free will at this stage because if we did follow this path of telepathy and and in and multiple and and higher connectiveness what could we become yeah, what would they that's... be scared of could we actually fend them off would they well, be absolutely shit scared if we did do that? Yeah, there you go. There's another sense of that control. <laughs> exactly. So that's um, that definitely raises a big question on that. Absolutely, yeah. Stamp it down before it gets out of control. Keep it uh, simmering along. Like we, we, we. They obviously like the fact that we have something unique, but it's kept 
it's it, it's it's a controlled environment, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it sort of looks that way when you look at the world. You know, with the government's controlling us, everything that we do, the whole subject is taboo. So you you talk about anything that's related to paranormal or UFOs, that you're classes as the crazy person. Go into an asylum where you should be in a straitjacket. You know, that's yeah, that's there's... the control there. You know, but I, I can look at the yeah. stigma of it and go. Well, you know, back in the 50s, I think Ross Coulthard has you know, identified this as well, that the the idea of the stigma around the phenomena needing to be put under Cold War era classification, you know, this whole mm. idea of, you know, the, the instant suspicion with us and them type of thing. Can we use this as technology? If we Do we, you know, do we, we we've got all this, this crash technology can we use it against the next guy before they get hold of it? So, yeah. you know, they are, I don't think they have managed to get much out of it. I keep hearing stories about, you know, most of the sightings we see are, are us, but things like that leak, you know, I, I just... I, yeah, we, absolutely. Things are very porous. You know, even the fact Bob Lazar, I, I you know, was being leaked a little bit. He yeah. was definitely lambasted but now being a little more vindicated in some ways as time goes on there'd be a lot more than him if the program is is as wide and as big and as successful as some of the conspiracists are, are trying to say mm. I, I i stand corrected if there is actually more evidence but in the public domain occam's razor says that if it's if we aren't using this technology then we probably don't understand it enough yeah the problem is you know, I, there's too much on the internet to be able to go on resource so you, it's hard to figure out what is exactly true to what is not um because there's so many yes. different stories out there that's bullshit and other things so Sign yes signal to noise ratio thanks to the internet is <laughs> is appalling now i kind yeah. of liked having uh, magazines where you, you literally had to if you wanted to print something it had to be bloody worth printing before yeah you, and you and you spent your hard-earned money getting that magazine and newsworthy. therefore you it was newsworthy in other words information had higher value now any idiot can write anything on the net and with a um with a with a damn good um ai um image generator anything can be yeah that's, that's and, where we're coming to now isn't it yeah yeah so so the internet the internet is where I think um, is is no longer really where we need to be with this this sort of uh, resource to some degree. Um, but as I said, the contactee experience is more valuable because you can't artificially create it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it it has a genuineness about it, and the fact that you don't have people just making up crap. <laughs> they've 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 said something that they feel very passionately genuine about happened to them. And is very much the same to someone else that they've never heard of. Um, a lot of people don't aren't into this topic. You know, they've never researched it. It's or if they have had an experience, they find out later that oh god, that's like the um, yeah the the Barney Hill experience, or it's the, you know they find out later. Um, so they're not they're not all manufacturing it. Uh, we can filter that out. Yeah, no, that's right. And like, you know, like you're saying, like people got nothing to gain from this as it is. And there's too much common ground. People are having the same experiences, similar experiences. And I've said this a lot on the podcast too. Like, you know, not everyone back in those days, they didn't know each other from a bar of soap, you know. So they're not exactly congregating together to go and make a 
massive prank on the world to go, hey, look, let's go and tell them we've all been abducted and get in this joke, you know, big ha-ha, you know? There's, yeah. It's it <laughs> impossible to do, it. especially back in the 50s and 60s. It just doesn't seem credible, you know? It's like the 50s and 60s, the, the, the biggest driver of society was was homogeneity. The, to go against the status quo just wasn't in the, in the popular culture. It just didn't exist. Yeah. So... Um, Yes, it, it, the contactee experience is still the most valuable, I think, for further research into this. Yeah, as, as much well, as, like, as you mentioned before, too, like, you know, like there should have been some more information that came out earlier. Like, if you look at the, uh, like, well, when was the Cold War? Was that 50s or 60s? When was that? Uh, well, post, well, let's face it, post World War II, um, it's basically the 50s, by the time the uh, the Warsaw Pact was drawn up and NATO started to be to be formed, there was definitely lines in the sand being drawn. But um, mm. yeah, the Iron Curtain uh, that was drawn down uh, over over Germany uh, in the closing days of World War II um, mm. that Winston Churchill dubbed uh, was certainly the start of it. Yeah. So now I forgot where I was going to go with that. the Cold War being the Cold War being a um, a, a cultural uh, way of stifling uh, flow yeah, of information absolutely. about you know, very strategic uh, things. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think mm. we've still got an element of that. I mean, there's yeah. there's technology that I I've got I've got ideas for creating based on how to make. Uh, intelligent metals that would otherwise be a receptor of consciousness and otherwise a generator of consciousness, whether it's, you know, actually has intelligence, but it's able to link with us. Um, from what I've discovered of how this all works, uh, some of my research, do I do I broadcast this uh, on a forum like this? I probably wouldn't. Um, because let's face it, uh, the last thing I'd want is someone like China getting their hands on even my on my crude ideas and taking it so taking it and developing it and actually making it work, these people, their military, do not have the same values as us. Let's face it, and yeah. we've gone to hot wars for a lot less. So um, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's all very well and good to be uh, magnanimous and want this stuff to be freely disseminated, but. This is pretty, still pretty powerful stuff. It, it could get in the wrong hands. You don't want to be um, going down that with, without your eyes open. I think. Yeah, and I just remember what I was going to say earlier too, like in uh, regards to like the Cold War. You know, people that would have been researching this whole topic there, and like you're saying, like, like you know, leaks with Bob Lazar and such, like things would have come out eventually. Yeah, you look at like was it what's that now? Like 60, 70 years. So people that yeah. would have been on their deathbeds now from those days of researching, like even um, after Cold War and all sorts of stuff and going to yep. wherever it was, they, they would be on the deathbeds now. They would not, they probably wouldn't even care about even mentioning or talking about this stuff anymore. Like I have seen like there's been some talks there where some people are on their deathbeds, they're like opening up about this, whether they're credible people or not, that's another thing. But you'd think there would be a lot more information, detail, or a lot yeah. more leaks in that sense. Exactly, and I, I think that's the that's where I think the so-called skunk programs haven't gone as far as I think people wanted them to. They might very well have extraterrestrial materials. They just we don't. We've only just started to get our head around quantum computing, and the link behind quantum computing, by the way, and what I'll call 
uh, Syntropy, excuse me, the the um, uh, Luigi Frantippi is uh, the one of the <laughs> uh, the mathematician who came up with the idea of syntropy, where we talk about entropy, where things tend towards disorder. There is always a small amount of the universe that tends towards order. Um, this this I think seen through the lens of quantum computing. Um, and even some of the ideas of maybe uh, Leonard Susskind and his holographic universe. Um, this is pretty deep physics stuff. I mean, if I go into this much deeper than just flashing over the top, I think I'd lose a lot of people. But needless to say, I could go in for hours over that part of it as well. Um, the syntropy idea where things tend to order uh, themselves, that consciousness doesn't need many processes in order to create a very high-ordered state of awareness. Um, maybe I should back down from that one. I could go down. <laughs> that's that, right. that's, it's going to need actually a lot of, of background math. Of, 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 uh, you know, this, I'd like, you know, graphics up here. This is this one. Yeah, Follow this one. You know. Yeah, preparation stuff. I think if I, I'd lose a lot of people on that one. But um, if there's a lot of comments in the, in the down below saying, hey, please uh, up, give us some more information on yeah, and how that relates to uh, to consciousness, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll divest my my best interpretation to, to, to make that link. But um, needless to say that the what we're starting to get ahead around about how consciousness and how, how, how complexity evolves from consciousness and how consciousness evolves from the complexity of our landscape to make a reasonably simple processor, the the way this works going forward and backwards are actually linked. Uh, and if we, you know, we can look at it through the quantum computing ideas that things do form in a way to meet in the middle. I, 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 a good example of that is, I don't know if you've seen, uh, and I, I think there's someone on YouTube has done this again, this has been one of those ones I'd bring up as a graphic, is uh, you can make a chemical maze. Now, you can put an acid and a base uh, through this maze uh, that you've drawn, and you can put an indicator on it, of course, where the acid uh, turns up, the indicator goes blue or something like that. And you put these chemicals at the far end of the maze, and suddenly you watch this blue start weaving its way through like tendrils through the maze, and it finds the the path to the other side of uh, the maze, the the base versus the acid, they're, they're, they're opposites from an energy point of view, um, and so the the ability to solve a puzzle through the through the simplest way uh, possible without having to find all the without having to go through and literally crunch the numbers and you know to to actually like picking a lock, you just literally find the solution to the lock in one hit. Um, biology can do this as well. Slime molds have this weird way of just finding food just like like that. And they go, oh, is that consciousness? How did they do this? You know, it's this syntropy. It's this ability for uh, life or en energy, energetic systems to find their lowest form of solution to a problem very quickly. And I think the brain is doing this, you know, uh, in a way with its environment. It, it forms 
it forms structures that will process all this information around it the most simple way possible. And hence, uh, brains and sensory organs evolved. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know if it's related or not, but uh, for some reason, I immediately just started thinking jellyfish because they don't have brains as far as I'm aware, but yet they still maintain some sort of sensory about themselves. They don't really have, they're not really good at problem solvers. They're very good at just being, you know. (laughs) A jellyfish. (laughs) They're pretty good at being a jellyfish. I haven't really seen them play uh, a good game of chess. Um, No. (laughs) But it's strange, though, how something like, you know, as far as we're aware, when it comes to something that is a conscious body or anything of that nature, has to have some sort of brain and some sort of function, functionality. But yet these are a creature that can survive grow feed without the need for a brain or any no you don't no no, the brain the brain has got a very uh long evolutionary history i mean it's simple simple bacteria need only to have um sensory organs uh, that just if something touches you you instantly have a go backwards um, response um, is it a brain? It's it doesn't really need much processing. It's just a if I touch that switch, then this thing turn this motor turns on for three seconds, and then the battery winds down and it resets. And then you know that's that's the simplest thing you've got. Um, humans are a, a weird bunch because, like most higher organisms, we've evolved things that get tacked on top of other things and on top of other things. The brain is a from an evolutionary point of view. Um, very, very simple. Um, I'm just going to control things like breathing and uh, metabolism to, oh, I sense something. Maybe that changes something and I'll tack that on the top. Then I'm going to have things like, how do I process this information? Can I do something else with it? That's, that's another part of the brain. Then there's um, abstractions and higher reasoning starts creeping in. Um, There's automatic pilot sections. There's language centres like Brokaw's region, which just is completely dedicated to language and language processing that has evolved out of probably when we were birds and we had songs that we, you know, would would communicate. Um, Yeah, it's a a mess. Um, It's certainly not uh, an intelligent design. It's, It's a, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of things dumped on top of other things that have got a patchwork between them that just sort of work eventually. Um, but yeah, the 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 things that are intelligent that seemingly work in the way that a that a higher intelligence does, like fungus, um, with their mycelial network underground, small chemoreceptors that if one tree goes down uh, from a predator, then the mycelium feels this chemical change and can tell other trees that there's there's this kind of predator starting to get around the trees. Go, oh, thanks for that. Was that an awareness? Was it a consciousness? Was it a? Uh, it was certainly an awareness of an environment, but did it did it do it consciously? That's well, a it's a good one. I think there's a lot of people out there in the in the mushroom community arguing over that one. Yeah, I think there's also a bug that does the same thing too. It eats the wood and kills the tree, and the tree does the same effect, like warns the others, like, hey, there's some sort of bug. Yeah, herbivory. There's a lot of uh, everything from uh, the smell you get of, of cut grass. Um, hexene ol um, is, a her- is a pheromone that other grass goes, whoa, hang on, we're being eaten. So they start producing less... Um, 
less tissue, more silica around the edges, and they stop predation. Um, many, many, many plants try this trick of, um, of, of chemo uh, signaling. Um, like, oh man, I, if you go down the biology path, it's it's or molecular cell biology path. I mean, I can find you some you know mind blowing things like our, our, the cascade, uh, the chemical cascade from our nervous system is actually a, a very very similar to this chemotaxis or this chemoreception in plants. You know, this this pathway switches on in plants. We've got a chemical that's almost identical here, and that switches on to a next thing, that thing. Plants do it slightly different over here. Sorry, I'm, I'm backwards. Plants do it over different over here. They go to this way, but we've got something over here that we use that does the same job. And down this tree of causality in, in, in between plants and in humans, um, yeah, you go, shit, it's, it's almost identical. I mean, um, hemoglobin, you know, the thing that gives us red pigment holds our um, holds iron, which gives us um, oxygen. We move around red blood cells, all of that stuff. We, hemoglobin, uh, porphyrin structure, these these chains that hold this this metal, which is iron in the middle. Plants do the same thing, except they've got a magnesium in the middle of it, and we call it chlorophyll. There's a few other bits and pieces off it, but I mean, a porphyrin structure with a uh, a metal in the middle to do something. Uh, mollusks have the same thing, except they use copper. So convergent evolution or inherited genes. Man, there's complex the the, the biology and things and links between things. That's like I just. It's too hard to put into a podcast, but man, if you've yeah. done some science, if you've done a science degree, or you've even just done a beginner's science, and you can just go, "Wow, that's amazing!" <laughs> yeah, so it sort of makes you like wander on the path here. Like, obviously, like these beings have the ability for this consciousness where they can sort of use some sort of telepathy to telepathy to go and have some sort of contact in regards to that. So, is it? You, you sort of feel like there could be a way that we can evolve to get to that point there, but also be able to commute communicate between. Like we're just saying, like you know, between plants and animals of that sort of consciousness nature. I think we do it. I mean, there's plenty of societies that have been in touch with um, that that level of consciousness for a very, very, very long time. We're constantly told by indigenous societies and, and older cultures that we've lost touch with with that. I yeah. don't think that's a new message. I think we've heard of that all before. Um, maybe this is another impetus that will stimulate us to get back to that after looking at the contactee experience and going shit why are they even here why are we what have we got to offer and if it really is profound enough to go uh traveling across light years or at very least uh skipping around the local um area of the galaxy when um to, to come and visit us just because we have this then you know, we should say to us as a as a as, as conscious beings that we should possibly cultivate this and stop being so damn fixated on shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I just want to go back through the comments here where um, Chris was saying, like, uh, we were also talking about the whole studies and such of how we can go, obtain these abilities with the consciousness and whatnot. Um, he's also he's asked, like, uh, have we gone through like DMT studies? Now, I'll know that through ancient cultures and that there's always been some sort of substance there that's been... Um, oh, yeah, psychedelics uh, have been an absolute classic. Yeah, psychedelics, yep. Uh, you know, to, it, to sort of give that higher self there where you can have this open consciousness to be able to 
communicate between different worlds as I explain it. So it when it's somewhere for us to go and find ourselves. I mean, I've yeah, DMT. All right, my version of it was it's uh, it's being like being shot out of a nuclear cannon. Um, can you use it for uh, psychic development? I mean, I, some people say they see entities, but the fact that these people never see the same entity, there's nothing consistent about the DMT experience. It, it's you might be seeing perceptions of something. It, it might be giving you an insight to what your brain could be seeing um, when fired up that much. But is it an actual link to something? I doubt it at the moment with, with what I know of it and what I've experienced. But it certainly does allow you to know that your brain can do a hell of a lot more than what you're doing now. Consciousness is overrated. Super consciousness and psychedelics are a very good window into something that you can say maybe there's a bit more to life than just sitting here looking at TikTok videos. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It, it sort of makes you wonder because, like, as I was saying, like, you know, it's been going through so centuries through ancient cultures and that. And obviously now we, we, we put it down as a, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A <clears throat> party drug or no, it's not even a party drug because you're, <laughs> you're zoked out. But um, I'm trying to think of the word now. Like, you know, it's it's one of those drugs it's, that you, it's you rec- do in case. Sort of, recreational. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of almost recreational. It's not, we've, we've lost... We've lost the ceremonial. Most drugs are ceremonial. In fact, even even when we take it in a recreational setting, we don't. It's rare that people take things by themselves necessarily. It's it's you do it in you do it with other people, and you, there's a sort of yeah. a, a routine around it. Even if it's something s- as small as stoking a pipe and passing it to someone, that that in itself becomes a sort of a ceremony, um, and. <sighs> it deserves a lot more study. Uh, it, it too has something very, very intrinsically connected to consciousness. Um, they're, they're very good tools, but yeah, I think we have to do the work and not think that there's a magic bullet that will just go, well, now I've got super consciousness because I take this pill. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But do you sort of feel like it could be the way to unlocking a Absolutely. certain degree to your brain but obviously we'll get to that point where we don't rely on it anymore but it's like it's a key way to go and hey look we can do this we'll keep working think, on this and try and work your way to be non-reliant on the on the substance i think the biggest problem with people is they just don't have the they just don't know people live a very normal life and they just don't know what exists um people who have uh, a psychedelic experience are just left with this sort of profound a, a more profound view of life that there's something more to it if that's all it does is open a open a perception i mean you can't you know it, it's the same as being you know you live in a country town all your life landlocked out in the middle of bloody back of broken hill or something you're gonna when you see the sea for the first time it's going to be an overwhelming experience it's going to be something you remember are you going to see you know you're going to feel the same way when you see it a second time yeah probably not but you know that first time it opens your mind to something bigger, and that you know it's 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 a highly influential uh, thing, and and the psychedelics have that that profound effect that maybe you should be looking into this. 
It's sort of the same thing too when you think about when people have a their first experience of like you know they might not be a believer of the whole topic or paranormal or UFO nature, and the first time they experience something that sort of questions their reality, it sort of opens their mind up. Same sort of similar thing, you know, it opens their doorway to go and well, hang on, I need to start questioning things more critically here. Like, absolutely, what am I seeing here, you know? and that's, yeah, people who absolutely <laughs> grow up in you know. A country town somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly this this sphere drops out of the sky, and three creatures sort of say, "Hey, dude, how's it going?" <laughs> you know, it's gonna. Yeah. There's not much you can prepare yourself. Um, you know, for, how do you how do you prepare yourself for that if you've had no other experience? Yeah, and like other stories I've had in the past there too, like where people say, like, oh, I, my first experience, like you know, I wasn't really much of a believer. Obviously, yeah, obviously, not everyone knows the topic. But when they have that initial experience, then all of a sudden they seem to be open to the perceptions of other seeing other things. Like depending on I don't know whether seeing something that's um you know of a UFO nature or they're seeing something that they want to believe to be of a UFO nature. That I'm not trying to, you know. Exactly. Well, that's back to what Gary Nolan was saying that they, they notice that contactees have a, a much more active um uh, basal cell ganglia, um, it, which is, as I said, it's, um, and as he says, that it's, uh, it's, it's connected to perception and higher perception, the ability to interpret um, a pattern where other people wouldn't see a pattern. Um, yeah, once they have this, whether it's, it's deliberately stimulated or it's, a, it's a, an emergent phenomena from the experience. Either way, you know, once you've had something that profound, um, it's going to make you a little more, you know, open to you know, the world is not what you thought it was. Yeah, and I could admit, I, yeah, I, I, I talk to people who are very much, you know, <laughs> you're talking about this UFO thing again, and I go, no, no, listen to me, this is important. Um, they're very, very normal, um, and they're almost fearful of the whole. Deep down, they're actually a little bit threatened by this sort of thing that they don't have a framework to have in their head. They're sort of like shit, if I did see it, I'd be absolutely terrified. I don't think I could deal with it. I don't have a framework in order to put any words to it. So they sort of avoid the topic. And I've had someone in my sphere of influence where I was making them watch some of these cool videos from uh, from the web and and then just positing my experience of my what I've just told you all tonight um, and, and some other things. And they're going... That kind of makes sense. It sort of left them with a framework now to understand it, and they weren't as threatened by it. They they sort of felt like, yeah, there's actually a meaning to it. It's not just some ridiculously unfathomable problem that we have no control over or no way of understanding it. Because that's that's what most of this contactee experience seems to be. It it is ridiculously bizarre, um, but. Yeah, with as I said, more, more modern understanding. I think if I was to have a contact experience myself now, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, guys, yeah, okay. What do you want to test? Come on." <laughs> I'd be a little more. It's like, oh, "Okay, you can do the paralysis thing now." Oh yeah, okay, yeah, the paralysis thing. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, what's yeah. that missing time again? Oh damn it! Oh, here we go, the missing time <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, after having this uh, ability to sort of look at it a bit more rationally, I, I feel like I've got more control over my uh, emotions of of how this is perceived and how to communicate it to others. 
yeah look it's uh, it's honestly it's a um a massive wormhole to keep continuing down and my, i think we'll um pretty much put it there and it gives a bit more preparation for the next one yeah. there, mate, and like dive down there mate um it's getting late on your end there so i sort of feel like it should be bad <laughs> yeah. time with some fish i'm going to continue on another episode mate um it's absolutely fantastic absolutely. having you on um it's lovely wonderful yeah mate. absolutely fantastic it's definitely um i love talking about this whole topic mate it's it can go all the way around anywhere it wants to go like because nothing is really um of hard evidence here it's just everything's all on speculation of course but you know it's, good data it's still good great. data from people who are willing to give us their ex their experiences I'm, I'm always open to hearing more and more about it so that there's more data um thanks for having me on um maybe we'll do some other deep dive if anyone asks for something a little more yeah absolutely topic. and uh, it looks right. like we'll probably Jeez. put on a bit of a better time frame here to um you know <laughs> so a lot more people aren't uh you know doing a bit of a night shift with us it was a spare of the moment live episode so it, it was I'm, I, i've got to admit it was a bit of a <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i just jumped in here at the end i was a bit trepidatious but um look best of luck with um was it season four you said coming up yeah season four is coming out now it's uh, going to be coming out very shortly so we'll be i'll look forward to uh keeping up to that that'd be fantastic all right yeah. cheers guys you can log me off and uh, i'll say good night to everyone as well well that's right cheers mate. i'll see you next time and that will do it folks for this episode i hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget if you or someone you know has had an encounter but please get in touch with me to be featured on the podcast if you're a fan of the show, you can support the podcast by purchasing some awesome merchandise that's available on our online store via the link provided in the episode description. So thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hey, Root. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.